Guitarathon is the greatest guitar sale on earth, and it's happening now. Get massive savings on a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars, basses, amps, pedals, and other accessories. Save up to $450 on a Gibson Les Paul Studio Deluxe, up to $900 on a Gibson Les Paul Trad Pro 4, or save up to 20% on other select Gibson guitars. Plus, get special financing on select major brands. Don't miss these incredible deals. Available online and in store now through November 1st. Guitarathon, only at Guitar Center. Find your sound. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 100. Yes, that is 100 episodes of the Locked On Hawks podcast. And to commemorate this uh, joyous day, uh, probably my favorite guest I've ever had, with apologies to all my other guests and the most frequent guest of this podcast, his name is Robbie Callen. What's up, man? What's happening? Uh, I, I'm, I'm honored to be the, the guest on the very important 100th pod. Um, so thank you. Yeah, man, a hundred episodes. I think the last time I had you on, you you were taken aback by the sheer number. I think it was like somewhere in the low eighties, and you were blown yeah. away by that. Um, so, getting back to a hundred, uh, we're here, man. We, we made it to a hundred, so hopefully we'll do a hundred more uh, if if they don't throw me off the air before then. But uh, you know, let's talk some Hawks and let's do this thing. The Hawks are playing better, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. They've won two out of three. Uh, they lost the, the sandwich game that I happen to be in attendance for, so I'm sure I'll take the blame for that one. They lost, they lost the one home game of the three, but you know, playing against three playoff teams in a row and winning two of them is a good thing. Uh, are you encouraged by this recent trend, and this is something that we should be optimistic about uh, in the overall sense? Yeah. I mean, it really started, what, back with the Heat game? Um, since then, they are 4-2. and two. That's a yeah. nice little stretch. That's a nice little stretch of basketball. Especially, um, especially after you lose like all of the games in a row. Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is kind of what we – this is kind of what I talked about um, last time I was on is this team feels like it's going to be one of these streaky when the offense is, is playing well, when the team is shooting well, which they have been, um, over 100 in every game during the stretch other than the loss to the Hornets, and that was 99. Uh, offense playing great. You know, um, it's, you know, when they're shooting well and doing these sorts of things, they're going to go on these streaks like they did to begin the year, like they seem to be doing now. When they don't shoot well, you're going to see the losing streak we saw. Um, it just feels like this is a 500 team that's going to be a super inconsistent 500 team. There's going to be times where you go, wow, could they get the four seed? And there's going to be like times where you go, wow. Are they going to miss the playoffs altogether? I think both are. I think in the end, it's going to end up being kind of what we figured at the beginning of the year, which is a right right around five hundred team that finishes in that seven ish spot in the East. Um, it's just going to be a really frustrating ride because you're going to see some highs, but you're also going to feel some lows, and I think that's all what we've seen already. You know, twenty eight games in the season. 
Yeah, I was hearing a lot of uh, can this team, you know, get home court in the playoffs after last night. After last night's win, we're recording this on Tuesday night, so last night would have been Monday's win against the Thunder. Uh, it was an impressive performance, especially without Dwight Howard, and we'll talk about that more in a second. But uh, I think it's uh, your 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 overall analysis is right there, is that I've been trying to keep everybody sort of toward the middle. Uh, when the Hawks play super well, I kind of try to downplay it a little bit, and when the time, mm-hmm. when the Hawks play terribly. Uh, I've somehow been the voice of positivity, which seems, which <laughs> seems funny um, uh, given my track record. But there were a couple of nights where you know the sky was falling, and I was like, "Guys, it's just it's an NBA game in November or December. Like it is, <laughs> it's it is what it is. Like I'm all for being, I'm all for fandom and all those things. But I think that you know the truth's almost almost always somewhere in the middle, and that's kind of what you're saying. And I think uh, I was somebody asked me, I think it was today, if I thought if I thought that this was going to be a playoff team this year, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, gun to my head, I would say this is still a playoff team. You know, yesterday I rolled out like some sort of like fake tears on Twitter without thinking about it for more than about 30 seconds. And I thought the Hawks were sort of in that tier uh, that had, I think, three or four teams in it, somewhere between six and ten. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's kind of where they are. And I think gun to my head, I think they'd still probably be the seven or eight seed. But uh, the team is playing well uh, right now, especially when compared to previous times. So that's a that's a very very good thing. Uh, I feel like I bring this up on every single podcast with you, but uh, Kent Bazemore is playing sort of better a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I actually kind of killed him a little bit on today's show as we record this on Tuesday's show. And I got some pushback on this. I didn't think he played super well on Monday night, to be honest with you. Although he did, ple- he did play forty minutes, but uh, before that, I thought he had his best two game stretch of the season on Friday and mm-hmm. Saturday. You think Bays is coming around at all here after the injury and sort of getting settled down, or uh, are you still a little bit worried? I hope so. I, I mean, it, that, that in, the injury thing might have been a good thing. He can kind of take a step back, um, gather himself. Probably had some conversations with people. Uh, that are a little tougher to have during the season when you're playing, and just kind of maybe maybe have some maybe have them get him back into okay, look, this is what we want from you, this is what we expect from you, and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> that's what you hope is happening. Um, I, you know, he wasn't going to be as bad as he was to start the year all year, and what you're hoping is just he's regressing back to the mean, and then he just stays there, if not play a little better. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been saying from the beginning, I don't think anybody should have expected last year's Ken Baysmore to be this year's Ken Baysmore. That was a career year. I thought it was more of a closer to a, a blip on the radar than what we should expect to see from him going forward. Uh, but that's not to say he's not a good player that can't live up to that contract. Um, I, I just didn't think we were going to see the same kind of production, the same kind of shooting from him. Um, but he, he does need to shoot better and he's starting to do that. And if he can start, I think last night he hit a big corner three late in the game. Um, and like, if he can just do those things and hit the, hit the open shot when it comes to him, uh, that's the key. He's got to get that. I mean, he's shooting 28% from three right now. That's got to get up. If he can get that to the 33% range, which would mean he shoots really well for a little stretch here. Um, I think the Hawks being in pretty decent shape um, with him. And that would be in just, they just need consistent shooting. Um, so if he can just consistently be 33% from, from deep, that'll help. Like it's not great. It's not what you want to rely on, but it's better than the guy shooting 27, 28% and, and just like nothing's going in. Yeah. I mean, you know, right now the, the numbers for the season still look pretty ugly and that's kind of what happens when you have an awful, you know, month, month and a half. 
but uh, he, he looks more confident shooting the ball, I would say, and a little bit settled down for me. The thing with Bays is that we kept talking about him pressing, and I think you know him trying to do too much offensively is not a good thing for Kent because that's just not his game. Uh, when, when he's playing as well as he possibly can, that's not what you want him to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I think if he takes better shots, more quality shots, he perhaps shoots a little bit less, honestly, which seems funny, but I think that's probably a better thing for him. I think, uh, and defensively, um, I don't think he's been himself either this year, which is, I think, more concerning to me mm-hmm. that he has not been quite as good defensively. Uh, I would always push back on Kent being this lockdown guy anyway, because I, I don't think he ever was that. But I, I do think he was an above average defender last season and really his entire Hawks career, and he's not been that so far this year. So I, I hope that he could probably spend a little bit more energy defensively. That's kind of what happens when guys try to do too much offensively is that their de- their defense slips. Uh, we've seen that somewhat with Dennis Schroeder this season, I would argue. And part of that's not his fault and that Dennis is actually being asked to carry the team offensively a lot of mm-hmm. times. Um, so it's almost uh, obvious. I think we, a lot of us expected him to get worse defensively this year. That's happened. But with Kent, he's got to play good defense or he's not going to be a starter-level player. So hopefully that will, uh, that, that will come to fruition in the very, very near future. I don't want to spend too much time on Kent, though, because we feel like we always talk about him. I did mention Dennis there. I was going to ask you about Dennis, and he's, he's your boy after all. Uh, mm. He is uh, now up, and I say this is hilariously, to number 69 overall in terms of RP, <laughs> nice. R- RPM over uh, point and in terms of point guards. And, yes, very nice for Dennis. But he has been very, very good lately, averaging just shy of 22 points and 8 assists over the last 11 games, and really has been playing super well for you know two or three weeks now. What have you seen from Dennis, and are you uh, – is this the new Dennis Schroeder, or is he just in a hot streak right now? You want to say this is what we're going to see from him, but this is we, – we've seen Dennis go through these runs where he plays really well, and the key right now is for the Hawks to take advantage of, of when Dennis is playing well. You have to win games when your point guard's playing well, especially if he's kind of a streaky player the way Dennis is. Uh, and so this is a, this is a time where you know uh, against the Thunder he was fantastic. Um, now uh, people that have watched the Thunder this year will know that Russell Westbrook's defense has uh, not been great this year. Uh, as as fantastic as his offense has been, which has been unreal, he has another forty six, which like the numbers he's putting up are preposterous. I mean, absolutely ridiculous stuff. Um, but. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where you can get get him on the defensive end this year uh, because he has to put such effort into that offensive side of the the ball. Uh, but Dennis did what he's supposed to do, which is take advantage of that and and looked really good. He, he got some buckets down the stretch, found Millsap a couple times. Um, he's playing like you want to see him play. I, I just don't know if, if you can trust it as the long term. You know, this is what we're going to see from. Uh, this is what we're going to see from him for the next season, four years. You know, I, I don't think you can say that uh, until he puts it together for more than 10 to 15 games. Um, but you, you just got to be happy when he comes in and, and he's playing this well. Uh, and it just, it, I, I'm not sure what it is. You know, it's not because he, I, I really don't think it's because he plays harder or anything like that. Like, it, it's not like what it was with Jeff T, where you could visibly see him trying. And <laughs> not trying. Um, Dennis seems like he's always trying. It's just sometimes the game seems to come to him, and sometimes he just seems lost out there. Um, and, and I'm not sure what it is. Like he, he always seems to be giving the effort for the most part. I mean, they're they're obviously going to be back to backs and things like that where he looks tired, but um, it doesn't seem like mentally the 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 focus gets lost. Particularly with Dennis, it's just a matter of 
whether he's feeling the game or not. He seems like very much a feel player. And when he's in that groove and those grooves tend to last a couple weeks, uh, he, he's really good. And he's, there's the reason you gave him the contract if you're the Hawks. Um, but there's also times where he just, he's out there and he doesn't look like he's run, he can run the offense. Like there are times where he's just, he's not seeing the passes. He's not feeling the flow of the game. I don't know what happens. Um, but I, I, until we see it for a long stretch, I don't think you can expect that to be the Dennis. Like this is a, a new Dennis. I, I just think this is the we're on we're on top of the roller coaster right now. But I, I do believe there will be a, another dip back down in the near future. Yeah, I'm, I tend to basically agree with all of that. I think you know his season long numbers look very good. You know, sixteen point nine mm-hmm. per fifty five percent true shooting. Uh, it was never about the numbers for me. I thought they were always going to be there. His usage rates pretty high, uh, the highest on the team, twenty six percent usage, and like everything runs through Dennis. We were, we were talking about a second ago. I do think he's going to be uh, at least for a while longer, and maybe his entire career. Honestly. One of those guys who's, who runs hot and cold, the roller coaster analogy is a good one. Mm-hmm. That was sort of the case for Jeff Teague, especially early on as well. Obviously, that's the obvious comparison because Jeff was around and the last point guard that a lot of these Hawks fans watched for so long. Um, but even but as Jeff got older, the roller coaster got flatter. Uh, it always was there, and he was always the guy who people who drove people nuts with his play being hot and cold. But mm-hmm. as you mature, it does level out, and Dennis has yeah. a, has, a, has a long way to go with that. But yeah, I'm with you. I think this is definitely the high end. You know, averaging 22 and eight is not who Dennis is right now. I don't think. Um, and the shooting, that's really the big thing for me that I'm just not sure is sustainable, and I'm pretty sure isn't. Mm-hmm. He's shooting 37 percent from three on the season. Yeah. And that just, you know, he has to shoot that shot because they keep going under screens as they should against him. Basically, everyone is defending him the same way. And he's making a pay right now. I just, you know, I'm not convinced and it won't be convinced until I see probably a full season of it, of him shooting at that level that he's actually that much of a shooter. And that really helps in terms of his, at least his scoring and his efficiency numbers. Yep. I just, I don't know. It, it's weird. I, 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 I wish Dennis would, would defend better, but at the same time... <laughs> It's hard to argue that he can do that because, I mean, he's still young, but there's there's some sort of energy gap that has to tra- take place when you're, uh, you know, I also, I also think he's miscast a little bit in that, you know, you don't want Dennis to be your primary creator, at least your only creator. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the way that the Hawks are now. That's one of the reasons I was worried about the offense. Uh, is, is there anything to that in your mind? Like if the Hawks had this secondary, like a real secondary creator on the wing that they really just don't have, you know, you see it occasionally with Hardaway Jr. when they play together and, the, and their numbers have been good offensively. But, uh, you know, do you think Dennis would probably level out a little bit more if he was not given the same level of responsibility that he currently is? Well, yeah, because I think when you put the ball in Dennis's hands that much, you're just inviting the inconsistency. Um, this is a guy who will press, who will try to do a lot with the ball in his hands and just, I think if you took some of that pressure off of him um, and, you know, he's proven in his career, he's been a pretty good spot-up shooter. He's he's not especially good. You talk about guys going under on screens, that's what you do because he's not especially good shooting on the move. Uh, and that's been a thing since he came into the league. Um, I uh, I think it would help. I think it's something the Hawks are just lacking in general. Um, because if you if you are going up against a team that has a really good uh, defensive point guard, you're you're kind of getting shut down, and you you see the Hawks' offense really stalls when there is a really good on ball point guard defender that can uh, frustrate Dennis. It, it becomes hard for them to get into an offense and hard for them to uh, create things off the dribble if they have to go away from Dennis because 
Kent can't really do it. Kyle can't really do it. You know, we've joked for a long time you don't want Kyle dribbling. Um, You know, like you said, Tim Hardaway Jr. is your best bet for that. Uh, But again, he's not a guy you want to rely on to create off the dribble a whole lot. He's at his best when you can have him working off the ball as a shooter. Um, So, yeah, I I think they would be well served to have somebody else, whether it was a secondary point guard that can play at the two um, or just a a bona fide wing two three guy uh, that has creativity off the bounce uh, to kind of balance that out. Let Dennis be a spot-up shooter at times because he has proven to be pretty pretty reliable the last couple of years as a spot-up shooter um, from three-point range. Uh, it, it would help. It would help, I think, to an extent. I don't think it would be overly significant. Like, all of a sudden, Dennis would be super consistent. We'd be like, wow, this is an all-star caliber guy. Yeah. Um, but it would certainly, I think, be one of those things that helps – flatten out that roller coaster a little bit and you know you talk about jeff flattening it out and and that's what you hope dennis does is what you're really hoping is that the those lows the the floor raises is what you're hoping for uh the frustrating part is with jeff is there was still a pretty significant gap between the floor which certainly raised to kind of like the floor was always like league average point guard um, the frustrating part was it wasn't like league average point guard and then occasionally really good. It's like league average point guard and then like you you'd have the games where you're like this is this dude's top five talent. Um, you know, it was one of those things where that's that was the frustrating part with Jeff is the ceiling seemed so high, but you never felt like that was going to become the norm. It's going to be a, a challenge for Dennis as well. And you know, he he is super young. Obviously, he's younger mm-hmm. than Dennis was when than Jeff was when he was kind of in this same area because of the fact that Dennis just started earlier. So that's a good thing. Uh, he's already under he's under he's already under contract as well, which kind of lets him to uh, be himself. There's good things and bad things about a guy who's already locked up long term. He doesn't have that that carrot to dangle, but at the same time, he's already playing well this year, knowing that he already has that money. So I don't think you're worried about Dennis just somehow you know packing it in now that he's been paid. So it's been. Pretty Pretty encouraging the last couple of weeks, and I want to keep an eye on Dennis. Uh, before we get into a couple more things, Robbie, I do want to talk to the people about the good about the good folks at SeatGeek. So let's do that right now. Uh, the NBA season is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being at the game for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's courtside, the club seats, or in the upper level. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps on my iPhone screen, I can ju- I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this season. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every single ticket, because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you want to shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek also wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, In order to get that $20 rebate, though, you need to download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click on Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code LOHAWKS, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, 
and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code LOHAWKS to take advantage of this fantastic offer. All right, Robbie, let's get back into this thing. I'm sure you loved my live read skills there, but that's what happens on this podcast. Strong. Strong. Uh, shout out to the sponsors, always. Always shout out to the sponsors. We love the sponsors. We, 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 absolutely, we absolutely love the sponsors. BetDSI.com, all, all the ones that do this podcast. I appreciate right. each and every one of you. Right. If you listen to the to the Emmy, you know we love the sponsors. Uh, even got to have them, even if they're, ma- even if they're made up. up on the spot, yeah. Which is all of them. <laughs> all of them right now. Only right now. Well, if you're listening to Seat Geek, please please sponsor the Me College Football Podcast. That's all. That's not always about college football. Uh, anyway, right. <laughs> let's get back into some Hawk stuff here. I was going to ask you about, about the starting lineup changes. Uh, things have gone a bit weird in that uh, for a while there, uh, Kyle Korver. I guess the big one is Kyle Korver coming off the bench now. You know, in a permanent way. Although he did start against the Thunder on Monday, basically at power forward, which is interesting. We can talk about that if you want to. But uh, are you okay with Kyle coming off the bench? Do you think that helps or hurts him at all? And what do you think about Baysmore now being back in a starting lineup after a couple of games off, in which he was? Uh, they were basically taking it easy on him and now he's back in the lineup um i don't have a problem with bringing kyle off of the bench i think they i think everybody kind of realized that as much as anything this was a we just as much you know a we just paid kent kind of deal like we we can't exactly preach we can't exactly like all of a sudden say hey you remember how we gave you that big deal? You're going to be our bench guy. Like the, Ken Bazemore is not – this isn't like you signed Lou Williams in the offseason, like a bona fide six-man. Like this is his role. Shout out like, to Lou Will, a guy, by, by the way. Shout out to Lou Will. Lou Willville. Winnick County. County. <laughs> um, yeah, like this wasn't a situation like that where, where – this was something where you said like this, this is our shooting guard of the future. That's what you said when you gave him that contract. And you're banking on his ability to get out of this slump. And I think they want him to get out of this slump by playing with the best guys on the floor because that's going to give him the looks that he should be getting. Um, you know, as much as anything, Bays with a bench unit is going to become the creator. And we've talked about that's been kind of his issue is he's pressing. Uh, so I, I think it, it, it makes some sense from a basketball perspective, but as much as anything, uh, you know, Kyle's a vet guy that's going to take it fine. It's not going to disrupt the locker room. He's not going to pout. He's not going to do this sort of stuff. Um, uh, it, it's it's a fine move, whatever you, you, you want to do there. I don't think it makes a huge difference uh, on court, but as much as anything, I think it's just protecting the guy you just paid. It's absolutely right. I mean... <laughs> I don't know. They'll never say that, and they can't say it. But no, you can't. It smelled like that to me the whole time. And like, there's an argument. I mean, there is an argument you can make for Kyle being better off the bench. It's not one that I would have made. I think Kyle needs to play with better players because he basically can't create his own shot and he needs extra space. But it's quote unquote worked to this point for him. Uh, I think the the one thing you you can say if you want to make the argument is he does need people to create shots for him in the sense, but. If he's playing against, if you're matching it with other bench units, they're not going to be as used to playing a guy that moves that much. True. Um, you know, when you, when when we talked last, we kind of talked about how uh, teams have figured out how to deal with Kyle in the offense. Well, that's mostly starting units have figured it out. Um, you put him against bench units, you, you get guys. There's a reason a lot of them are on the bench, and especially two guards. Two guards off the bench 
tend to be your volume shooter, scorer, not great defensively guy. Speaking of Lou Williams, um, like the guy that gets points, but he's probably not who you want Ding up one of the better wings in the league. So there could be something to that, and maybe they're hoping that that can happen and get a little spark and Kyle can get some looks. I don't know. Again, we, you know, we've talked about Kyle hasn't been great, and yet he's shooting 41.5% from three, which is really good. Yeah, it's really good unless you're Kyle, and then people want you unless to shoot Unless you're Kyle, 45%. then you go, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 probably doesn't. He probably is not happy with that, which is crazy. It just kind of tells you how good he is as a shooter. But yeah, I just there's arguments for it and against. I think one of the things in moving him to the bench that I probably dis- discounted a little bit is I, I think Dennis and Kyle are not the best match together because Dennis is not a guy who's going to be looking for Kyle, and you have to look for Kyle. Yeah, um, that's that's in transition. In transition, especially you know, I think playing with Delaney a little bit. Delaney's more of a guy, even though he's not a pure point guard either. He's more apt to look for Kyle. Uh, Paul looks for. Kyle a great deal and, and he's, he's used to playing with Kyle whereas Dennis for better or worse you know, Dennis is going to look uh, inward you know Dennis is going to be looking for Dwight and his own shot um, it's more often that you know he, he's not as good at kicking out for those uh, for those flare cuts that kind of stuff for Kyle so I do see it and it has worked so it's made me look silly because I, I did not like Kyle coming off the bench but it's worked so far we'll see if it works long term and I wanted to at least bring that up here um before I let you get out of here, man, um, a lot of stuff about Paul Millsap and trade stuff already. You know, it's been mostly on Twitter with me, people asking me what I think about Paul being on the trade market, and it's really all these guys, to be honest. But um, because of the fact that the team is hovering over 500, and I sort of made the proclamation that I would almost trade Paul either way, uh, even if you, even if they refuse to rebuild, um, I've advocated for trading Paul, and that's not because I don't like Paul. I think people that listen to this podcast will know that like I am a giant Paul fan. I think he's incredible and a top 20 player in the league. But at the same time, that next deal is going to get ugly, in my opinion, almost almost certainly. Considering I don't think he's going to be giving any, any discounts this time around. At least he shouldn't be. Um, mm-hmm. So I would probably trade him either way, even if they refuse to rebuild, which I think they probably won't, uh, you know, won't want to do under, under Bud. So I guess the question is, would you trade Paul if you weren't going to rebuild? And then aside from that, what would you do, like if it was just you know GM Robbie and you could actually make the decision without having to worry about the fan base or et cetera, et cetera? <laughs> what I think they're going to do is the thing that you know I've talked about throughout is that. I, I think they're going to ask a lot for Paul. You know, I mean, we've As seen it the last two times they've been in the situation with Josh and with Al. Uh, they're going to ask a whole lot for Paul, and it's going to be really interesting to see if there's a contender market that can um, that can get them. Because I think that's what it's going to take is it's going to take somebody um, thinking he's the missing piece for a title run. Um, and the problem there as much as anything is I think most of the teams that will consider that would be in the East. And I don't know how willing they're going to be to trade to the East. Um, like Toronto comes to mind as a really intriguing spot for Paul. That's the one, man. I mean, I had, I had a, uh, a Raptors crossover podcast. I think it was last week where we spent probably too much time on this, but uh, it is it is the obvious one because it's the one team out there that needs the power forward spot desperately and has the potential to go all in. Yeah, to go all in for the contender and actually pay you the ransom that you want for a guy mm-hmm. that is going to be expiring contract. So 
you know, you look at Toronto and, and would they come with the offer? Um, that's for sure the interesting one. Uh, <laughs> it'd be funny if Boston decided to reunite Paul now, um, but I don't see where they have the either the assets um, or right now the way they're playing the exact desire to go all in right there. I think they're going to want to build. Um, and then the rest of the East, I don't know who thinks they can beat the Cavs by adding Paul. And then the West, I just don't know who really is going to say we need that. Utah maybe could say. I mean, it's weird with Utah. But are they going to mortgage the future? Yeah, it's the history stuff with Utah too and that, you know, he was obviously there already. Um, You know, I don't – is he that much better than Paul Millsap? I mean, than Dirk Favors? I mean, I suppose he is. Well, that's that's – yeah, that's the question. Um, I, I really don't think that they would that they would do it. Uh, I'm just trying to think of teams in the West that could feel like they have the upside but lack that, you know, one more really good piece, one more all-star piece. Um, I don't know. And, and is there a place that would want his rights to sign him, you know, next go round uh in free agency I, you know that has a couple assets you know the hawks are going to be asking for and i've said this before they're not just going to be asking for draft picks they're going to want a young semi-proven asset to kind of center this deal around um and all the teams that have that i, I don't think they're a place that would be really confident paul would resign there you know, it's just the yeah, it's a, it's just the weirdest spot for so many reasons. Like that's why like I keep talking about it because there's so many angles here, and that all the things you're saying, like there's not the obvious partners aside from Toronto. That's the one, I, and I suppose Boston, only because Boston's sort of in that mode too. But I don't think Boston's going to want to trade big assets for a guy who's under, who's coming up at the end of the, at the end of the summer. Uh, so I don't know. It's I think they should try to trade him, uh, honestly, either way, even if they want to go for the more established route and not the rebuild route because of the fact that they have Dwight and they have Kent long-term. Um, but even the, even then, like you, you don't want to let the guy walk away for nothing. That's my thing. You don't want to let your best player walk, walk for nothing two years in a row. That's, it's not a good look, and it's not a, it's not a franchise-building move in that way. It's, uh, it's a mess, to be honest. Yeah. Um... You know, it's it's a tough spot that they've kind of put themselves in, but this is the spot I kind of expected the Hawks to put themselves in, which is, you know, they are a team going into a new, essentially a new arena. Yeah, I mean, it's Phillips, but they're doing a massive renovation. Um, yes, they, they are. Spending, spending all the money. All the money is being spent on it. Uh, they're, like, flipping everything. Pretty much, uh, I was talking to some people about it, and it's uh, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, they are they're shutting it down for the summer. The the dream will be playing at Tech, and there will be no concerts at Phillips Arena. And for an ownership that also has stake in the arena, that's a heck of a lot of revenue that they lose on top of spending the money they're spending. Um, yep. So they're not exactly looking to lose, especially with the Atlanta fan base being the way it is with teams that lose with regards to attendance. Um, let's not say attendance is always great, 
right now with a kind of man middling lower tier playoff team, but it's better than it would be. And I, I just, I don't think ownership wants to tear it down. And I, I always come back to this. You have the coach as GM and I cannot think of a single instance in which a coach GM has ever said, Oh yeah, let's blow it up because yeah, they don't want to lose. They don't want to lose the people, the, the tank, GMs, the GMs that have said, let's strip it down and build it back up, are GMs first, tend to be uh, heavy on the analytics background because that's what the odds say. It's the odds say your best bet of building a championship team uh, is not by meddling around as a playoff team and hoping to get better and adding a piece here, a piece there. It's to hit hit it big in the draft, hit that superstar player, and try to build around that. Um, that's what works if you're not a market that can just throw money at people. But that's really hard to do. Yes, it's really it hard to co- it's really hard to do. And it's really hard to commit. If you ask most any ownership group, they would prefer to be the middling playoff team every year. They would prefer to be the Hawks circa 2010. Oh, for sure. And they they still do. And guess what? I think that's what the Hawks are going to look to do is and hope that they fall into a situation like the past couple years where they do get significantly better with some internal movement, smartly grabbing, um, smartly grabbing a, a couple free agents on discount like they did with all like they did with Kyle, um, making the right making the right moves and hoping they can do it. But it's really hard to get to that top level doing that. It's really hard to get to competing with the Cavs, uh, competing with the Warriors, and things the Cavs and the Warriors have in common. They're teams that got their best players through the draft. Yeah, like, I mean, it's them, except it's, for Kevin Durant. Yeah, except for Kevin Durant, and that was a recent And that example. was a, a super teamy thing, but the thing is you have to have the players there to get those guys to come build a super team. Right, you can't. Like, no super team, like, is is created out of the ether. There's never like, been even, one, ever. No, I mean, even, even Miami, Miami right. was... They had Wade. Wade was there. And he already and had he already had a title. He won a title already. He had a title, and he also already had Bosch in the bag. Like, Bosch was going there no matter what, so it was just a matter of, like, hey, LeBron... So you have to have that already. It's hard to get that without doing it through the draft. And unless the Hawks make a really shrewd trade and, you know, BK comes back in some front office and starts throwing away draft picks again like he did with the Nets, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where you, where you get that. Uh, so if your goal is to win championships, I – it's kind of you got to hope you get the superstar in the draft and you're not going to do that picking in the mid 15s 20 area but also I totally understand not wanting to do that because when you screw that up and you end up as the Orlando Magic it's bad it's real bad it's very bad so I can understand them not wanting to move uh no side especially and you, you talk about the pieces they already have locked up 
you're not in a position to go all the way to the bottom. You have too many solid players. You can't go to the bottom with Dwight and Kent and these guys on the roster. Well, and that's one of the re- that's something I've been trying to say over and over again is that I I argued at the time that I would have preferred the rebuild over the summer, but once you once you did the Dwight thing and the Kent thing, you basically can't blow it up. Nope. Like it, especially with Dwight, like Dwight has too much baggage for you to just dump him somewhere. That doesn't really yeah. work. Like you can't get value. I don't think you can get fair value for Dwight Howard on the trade market. Um, for whatever reason, he's got too much history, too much of a personality, all that stuff. I think you could trade Kent if you wanted to and take a little bit, a little bit of a loss on that. But yeah. with Dwight, it's really, really tough to do. And that's the argument now. You know, all things equal. Forget in the past. Forget my opinions in the past. Right this second. It would be very, very difficult for you to blow it up and rebuild. It just would. You know what's you know what's an interesting team, and I'm just thinking out loud here. An interesting team, especially the way things are going right now. It, there, um, if you're willing to eat one of their funky big contracts, if you're looking to move Paul, and they think that they still are trying to make the playoffs this year, and they're so locked in with what they have that they need rights to sign someone. Portland, if you could get a CJ McCollum. Out of them, and E the contract is interesting because I mean you think they locked up everybody forever. They're stuck with that roster for four years, and they're not a playoff team right now. Like I'm not, I'm not advocating taking Evan Turner on. Never, 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 never. I would never, I would especially never do that on your podcast. Uh, no, you should, you should never do that. <laughs> I would never advocate ever signing Evan Turner. Um, but if you get CJ McCollum, eat, I don't know, somebody's contract up there that's not Evan Turner. For like if they have one that's a little shorter, I don't know, the Plumley deal or something. Um, and Paul would be willing to consider signing up to play with Dame or whatever. Like, I think that's kind of an off-the-wall team you call and see because they're just stalling out and they might realize, uh-oh, we might have goofed here and they might be looking to make any kind of move they can to give themselves something fresh because if not, they're literally looking at that same team for four years. Like, they have no room to move. Zero. Oh, absolutely none. Like, they're even, they have less than zero. <laughs> like, they're over the cap with a non-playoff team right now in the West. It's bad. So maybe that's where you go. Like maybe you eat the Festus deal. Like you just got to pay him $15 million, which really isn't that much right now for two years. Like you just take that off their books and take CJ McCollum away and a pick or two and just say, hey, here's Paul. Like if you, if you really want to do this, if you really want to kind of strip it down a little bit, but also have some interesting pieces. They're a team that has pieces. They're just all getting paid a lot of money. And you got to consider that. But especially if you're if you're trying to be okay, we need to move some things, but we also want to stay a playoff team. That's and that would give you your secondary creator next to Dennis. It would certainly do that, and uh, you wouldn't have a whole lot of defense. But I love a good fake trade. So uh, I just, could, I just, I'm just. This is just literally off the top of my head. That just trying to think of teams that you could move to, yeah, move ball to, and just with that, <clears throat> that have the assets. Honestly, and like CJ McCollum's just such an interesting player to me. 
Yeah, I don't think they'd do it, but it's something no. you can look at. I, I, honestly, this is my hot take on you know mid December. I think I think it's Toronto where it doesn't happen. That's that's I what agree. I will say, I only agree. because I think they're the only team that is going to be willing, that at least has the profile of a team that's willing to pay what you would want and take a guy knowing he might leave. Correct. Only, and that's only if you think Toronto, you know, Masai Ujiri is a guy I think is pretty good at his job, so he may not want to do that either. Um, yeah. But they have the young, they have the young assets. They have Terrence Ross, they have Norm Powell, they have Corey Joseph, they have a, a top ten pick from last year, Nakat Pirtle. They have future picks. They have stuff they can love trade. Some, I, I'll tell you, I, I love me some Pirtle. I mean, he's no Sabonis, but they have there's stuff they can trade, and they have that that glaring weakness. But anyway, I mean, we could go forever on pick, pick, pick Paul trades, and we probably will into uh, February. We might just Speaking do an of, entire episode on Speaking it. Speaking of Sabonis, let's find a way to get let's find a way to get the Thunder involved, so we can get we can get my baby boy. Yeah, in town. maybe uh, maybe Sam Presti's just uh, insane enough to put together some weird offer that includes Sabonis and Old Depot and whatever else. I don't know. I'm but here for it. There's there's some stuff out there, but uh, all right, Robbie, uh, we've we've taken up too much time doing fake Paul Gasol trades in mid. My guy Sabonis. Yeah, listen, I love him too. You know, you know how I feel about Sabonis. It's my guy. Although he's he has like an NBA record level uh, free throw rate on the on the negative side. Yeah. He's like taking like six free throws this, this entire season or some ridiculous number. But uh, Sabonis is a guy I love, and I, he was one pick away, one pick away. Uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, but that's fine. It's fine. Whatever. I, I like him. I, I like Torian Prince, so I'm cool. And from there, guys, just as I was about to ask Robbie to plug anything he'd like to plug, uh, the connection started to frets out on us on Skype. So I, go, I went ahead and let Robbie go. Uh, feel free, though, to check out his work on CBS Sports. He covers college football, boxing, uh, MMA, all, all sorts of stuff over at CBS Sports, and also the It Me College Football podcast that he co-hosts with Martin Rickman over at Uprock Sports. Appreciate him coming on today to celebrate this 100th episode, and uh, appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to the podcast. Please stay tuned for a wrap-up episode of Wednesday's game on Thursday. Thursday. And until then, uh, thank you as always for listening.